0: Today on the podcast is our real-life lifesaver, Karina, the ICU nurse that did life-saving CPR on my husband when he went into cardiac arrest 10 months ago at Hogue Hospital. If it wasn't for Karina showing up and giving everything that she had that day and being so great at what she does, the outcome could have been different. It's crazy because Craig had the most severe type of cardiac arrest called V-fib and had no pulse pretty much immediately. So he was in the best place he could have been for this to happen. And it all happened so fast. In this episode, Karina and I talk about that day and what it was like from her perspective. She talks about how she remembers seeing me in the hallway screaming for help and how she was surprised that Craig was so blue in color so quickly. I ask her, all the questions about what it's like to have such a heavy job and how to work through the trauma that you experience and still go out in the world and be happy. There were so many incredible doctors and nurses that helped us over that two-week period through operations and setbacks and all the things that come with it. You just can't express your gratitude in words, but man, I try. There are so many cool lessons and takeaways from this conversation And I'm just honestly so grateful for the opportunity to get to know Karina and spotlight her as the true hero that she is. Let's go. Lindsay. Before we get into the interview with Karina, I just want to say a few quick things. What I've really learned, and we talk about this a little bit in this episode, but I really wanted to highlight this. If someone you love needs your help medically, whether it's an emergency or something urgent or something that's more like ongoing or a long-term health situation, it is so important to step into the role of thinking of yourself as their quarterback, their quarterback for their health, that you are mentally clear and emotionally strong. And you're organized and you're able to keep records and connect doctors and be present and be able to control the emotions that come along with whatever is going on so that you can be the present quarterback. Because usually, if they're in a situation like this, they're not able to be their own quarterback. It's so fascinating to me that learning about this through this process and talking to Karina about it and For me, this episode is not about me. This is mostly about Karina and her life and Craig and what happened to him. But the part that was crazy emotional for me personally, as it relates to me, is in the episode, you'll hear her talk about how she got to our room so fast, which was crucial because like I said, he had no pulse right away. She got in there so fast. And she talks about how how that went down and how they decide who does what. But she got there so fast because she saw me screaming for help in the hallway. And ever since Craig was diagnosed, or since we discovered his heart issues so many years ago, I've always tried to be his ultimate quarterback. Like I promised myself, I will be his quarterback. I'll make sure I always know all the medications and go to all the appointments and ask all the questions. And to make sure that I'm present in everything that's going on and how he's feeling or if something's weird or off and keep notes and connect doctors. And I've always worried that I'm not doing enough. And often we've had more bad news than good news at times. So for me to to hear her say that, that I was able to do my part in helping save him feels really great. I think also because so often I wanted to help so badly, but I felt so helpless when things were going on or when he needed to have more surgeries or a surgery and then a surgery planned right after that. Um, But I, I also felt this in the hospital. It was very, very kind. The doctors that would come up to check on Craig that were present in that ICU during the arrest, they would come up and and say, "Man, your wife, your wife is like a, a superhero." And I'm not saying this in any way to be boastful or 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 anything like that. But honestly, it just made me feel so good because I was like, "Oh, that was that's what I've been trying to be. I've been trying to be a superhero for him when he needed me." So to it made me feel so proud that even though i was literally living my worst nightmare in real life and it felt like it went on for so long to be able to be physically and mentally strong and tough and be present and and be able to help out and and um get help and also share information with the doctors really quickly like i just i felt that relief that i had done what i had had promised to do in that moment and so so often throughout the years I wasn't feeling like I was able to do that as much as I wanted to. So for me that was like such a gift that she gave me to share her perspective on that to for for her to know that because I was asking her the monitors weren't even going off right away. How would you know to come? And she was like cuz I saw you and I was like oh my gosh like that is that just makes me feel so good cuz it's just it's just so important to me. And Craig and I have been together for 19 years. We met when I was 23 years old and he's, he's honestly just my, my everything. Like Craig, I have undying love for Craig, even if I'm annoyed or if we have a disagreement, he is my person. Like I'm just so madly in love with him and I'm just so passionate about it. He jokes that if something happens to me, he's never getting married again. Not in the way that he's like, oh, you're irreplaceable. Not at all. It's more like he would just want to like run around with his buddies. I'm sure some of them would live here and hang out with the kids and like just have an easy life. But for me, I tell him, if something happens to you, I'm never getting remarried because you're my person. Like He's just my person. So to love him so crazy deeply and then to physically watch all of this happen, was just so painful. I mentioned in this podcast as I was watching it happen, I thought this is so extreme. Like there's no way that he could just be okay after this. Like one does not recover from this. Just how it how how extreme it was to watch and how much his body went through during the cardiac arrest. And I know a lot of people don't recover from it and I'm I'm just so grateful that we had the best possible outcome there are people that come into your life and they change everything for you in a moment. And Karina is that to me. Like I'll watch her Instagram stories and I'm just so happy for her. Like, like I would be for my closest friends and family. Like I just, I I have this special kind of you know, like distant connection. And I will always remind her that what she does changes lives and it changed our lives so much. And if there weren't brave people like her who were willing to put themselves in this extreme situation and see the most traumatizing things that happen to humans over and over and still show up and do the work and go to therapy so they can keep helping people in this way is... Simply amazing. I love Karina so much, and I know you are going to love her like I do. Okay, so please welcome my very special guest, Karina.
1: <laughs> Thank
0: you Hi. so much.
1: Thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me.
0: I, you obviously mean so much to me, and you. You changed our family's life so much that day in the ICU and kind of all the questions I've had stirring in my mind since May, um, I'm so excited to share. And I think people will get so much value in hearing hearing your perspective and what your life is like being so young and having such a heavy job.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. So- I can't believe it was back in May. I feel like it was like yesterday almost. I don't know. It's so fresh, you know? Yeah. Um, But yeah, uh, thank you for having me. Okay, so your first question. (laughs) My first question
0: for you, how much do you remember? I mean, all your days are so busy. How much do you remember from Craig's episode specifically?
1: Okay. um. So actually that day, it really does stick out to me just because that day in specific was so crazy. We had just gotten like three admits from OR like back to back to back. It was still early in the night. And then I distinctly remember hearing you scream. And then our teletech said, Hey, can you go check on this patient? He's in VTAC. And I was standing across the room at the time. And I remember looking over at you, because in my head, I was like, there's, there's no way this is happening. Like, we're we're freaking slammed, like, no way, no way. Um, And I look over at you, and I see your face. And there was so much just fear and panic when I looked at you, that I knew it was serious. And so when I ran in, usually when we run in, in, in these situations, we check for a pulse right away, um, because that's going to dictate whether we start CPR or not. Um, And I'm sorry if this is hard, but for when I looked at Craig, he was already blue. So for me, it was just like, there was another nurse in the room already. And so that's why I told her right away, just start compressions, start now, um, because it was serious. Um, And so and then we hit the code blue button. And I know that's when you remember hearing code blue overhead and you knew that it was for you. Um, so the way that it works in, in ICU, so every nurse is trained to do CPR, um, regardless of what their position is in the hospital. ICU nurses are specifically trained for codes, um, just because we are critical care nurses. So he was in the best place in a sense to have this happen, Sure, you know because there were nurses that were especially equipped to handle this situation. Um, and so in the doctors, it was again, like kind of early on in the night when we're, especially when critical care is rounding with the doctors. So the ones that were coming to the code were literally on the other end of the hospital. Um, and so it took a while for them to get, you know, from the other end of the hospital all the way over to neuro ICU. Cause it literally like so far from each other. Um, and I just remember like him agonally breathing. And for me, it really, when the patients are younger, it just kind of hits me a little bit harder. Um, just because I imagine like, oh my God, at at the time I thought he was my dad's age. He's a little bit younger. (laughs) Um, and I was like, God, please like not, not this one, please. Cause I'm, He's got kids. I'm sure he's got kids. And his wife is right here. Not not today. Not this one. Please, please. Like pleading with God in my head. Please, not this one. You know? So.
0: And you had your feet off the ground. Like I remember standing there being like, she is giving 150%. Like, I just, I, you're literally your toes were on the ground to work so hard. I just remember thinking like this this has got to work because she's work she's working so hard
1: yeah um a little bit of that is because i i'm short so (sighs) we do have to kind of like (sighs) lean a little bit more uh to do compressions but it's also um one of the things when we train for cpr it's you really want to do what's called quality compression so um i don't know if you recall but when when this happened we hooked him up to a monitor um, and so as we're doing compressions, we're looking at this monitor to make sure that we're hitting, like, the right rate, the right depth to give him what's called quality compression. So um, when somebody codes like this, it's all about the quality of compressions. That's really going to dictate whether we get um, what's called, like, return of spontaneous circulation or not. Um, and, yeah, so it's it's really, really important. And like I said, I we weren't going to lose this one, you know.
0: So when it started happening, I was holding his hand and he yeah. he was like i don't feel okay eyes rolled back in his head what looked like seizuring, like full seizuring and then blue i mean all within seconds and i know he had the worst the you know the most severe type of arrest but like is it does that happen and and in does it happen often and instantly i was like there's no chance he'll be the same like instantly in my head to to witness how violent that was to witness the shaking like he was coming off the bed fully blue i heard no pulse instantly i was like he there's no way to see that and think he'll ever be like a walking functioning human in the same way is it normally that extreme
1: um honestly it is very different from person to person to person but what struck me is that when i went into the room he was already blue that you don't normally see. Usually when we walk into this situation, like, for, yeah, eyes rolled back, not responsive, like, eyes closed, that's normal. But how blue he was, that was so, like, abnormal to me because it happened so quickly. Um, and wh- what struck me, too, even afterwards is, like, minutes after him waking up, he was, like, joking around because we were trying to, like, start an IV or something, and he was, like, joking around. And I'm like, sir, do you know what just happened <laughs> Uh, like, at least in my head, you know, I'm trying to, obviously I'm not going to let him see kind of like how serious the situation was. Cause I don't want to stress him out. Yeah. Uh, but to me, that's also what was so striking is like, are you, are you, are you kidding me? Like this just happened. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. And I remember just like he, you know, came to and I was like, you made it, you did it. And he was just kind of like, like what, you know, still kind of like figuring out what had happened. Yeah. And then at that moment, I had so much regret after, because I mean, the whole thing is such an out-of-body experience, but then I ran and hugged the nurse that had been with us, that was next to us. And then after you left, I was like, I didn't even hug her. Like I remember thanking everyone, but like, I was just like, she changed our life. Like if she didn't show up today with her a game, it might not have worked. Cause I knew how severe it was so fast. Like You guys said no polls before his monitors were even going off because of that slight delay. So, I mean, like I said, just the impact. And it's crazy. I mean, we'll get to all the other details, but it's crazy Mm -hmm. how often I think of you specifically in our lives, like when something is happening very cool or Craig specifically has a cool moment with the kids. I'm like, if it wasn't for her, like giving 110%, this might, this probably wouldn't, wouldn't be, you know, it's just, it is what you do. I'm sure there are so many hard parts of it, but to know that like you are forever such a special person to us is, I can't even express it enough. I really can't. Thank you so much. That really like, it means so much to me. I appreciate that. It's just, I mean, it's on, it's just really on another level because you know it, it could have gone differently that day if you know a, a whole number a whole number of circumstances. So now like like logistically, how did you get there? So so are you and your team on deck waiting for arrest and and you get the call and you guys zoom in or like how'd you get there so fast? Like what are the logistics of where you guys are, what
1: your job is specifically? Okay. Um so for ICU nurses that that's actually where we stayed so that's there's three ICUs um in in that particular hospital that I work in that happened to me I my ICU so we stay there um there's a what's called a rapid response team so these are the people that lead the codes um so I don't know if you might recall them like the people that are saying stuff like okay um pulse check pull back okay start compressions again so there they could be anywhere at any like position in the hospital and when they hear that they immediately like run um and so again I think they showed up at the same time as the doctors because they were also across the hospital um but yeah so that's like I kind of like how I mentioned earlier this was the best the ICU was the best place for him to code because we were all already there like the people that needed to be there were already there right so. And the
0: interesting thing that I didn't realize because the doctors came from so far, it's not yeah. like they had done rounds. So they kind of knew, okay, this guy's in heart failure. Like, you know, then they ran in and I felt so good that I was able to be helpful. Cause they're like, you know, 50 year old guy, what, what's the story? And I was yeah. like, you know, he, he, um, you know, had the paddles at 10 AM, then he went into heart failure, his, you know, like I was able to fire off some, some facts, but that was, what was so interesting yeah. to me too is. There, you know, two, you know, really great doctors came in and they're like, well, basically like, what the hell am I walking into?
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know,
0: they have to be able to assess what to do next,
1: Mm -hmm. which is really great that you were able to do that. Cause like I said, it had been such a chaotic night already. Um, If you weren't there, I don't know if that information would have gotten relayed as quickly as it did, you know? So it's awesome that you were there too. It was a huge help for them. I'm sure, you know? In your
0: team, how do you decide who's doing the CPR? Like, how are you the point person at that
1: moment? Um, so, really, it's whoever's in the room first is going to jump on the chest. Um, and then from there, we kind of like at the beginning of the shift, we'll dictate, like, okay, this person, you're going to be on the monitor, you're going to be coaching, you're going to be doing compressions, you're going to be doing meds. That's a discussion that happens at the beginning of the night, just because obviously it's ICU, our patients are very critical. This is common. Um, but first, uh, yeah, again, first person that's in compressions, jump on the chest because that's the most important part. And in a, in a given shift, how often does this happen? Man, um, I feel like we kind of go through phases where we'll have like a couple shifts where like, nothing happens. And it's like, Whoa, nice. (laughs) This is a good good, uh, little run we got going here. And then there's some nights where it's just like, one after the other after the other. And it's insane. And it's, you know, it really just depends. It can get crazy, but like I said, in critical care, it's it's common. It's common,
0: you know. It's it's it happens pretty. It happens pretty often. Yeah. And then how? Like, what percentage are you able to save?
1: Less than we would like, probably. Um, to be honest, or they don't have as good of outcomes. As you know, as we did with your husband. Um, So yeah, I, it's, it's definitely hard to see how many we lose.
0: I can't imagine. I think about you all the time. You're so young and beautiful and vibrant and following you on Instagram. Like you you (laughs) do adventures and you have great friends. One of the biggest questions I have for you is how can you see so much sadness and go out and be normal in the world? and have fun and and have joy
1: yeah um that's a great question actually i think when i was a beginning nurse especially so with my the first patient that i ever lost actually hit me hard it was my first one you know i'm free i'm 25 years old like this has never happened to me before um And this patient like in particular reminded me of my grandpa. So I think it hit like even like at a deeper level for me. Um, And so unfortunately he ended up passing and the following days, like I wasn't able to like eat or sleep or like move. And so I reached out to a mentor at the time. And I said, like, can you, I don't understand why I'm feeling this way. Can you help me? And she said, Karina, I want you to just let yourself feel what you're feeling in the moment. You know, it is okay that you're feeling this way. It just means that you're compassionate and your compassion is what makes you a good nurse. So I need you to just feel your feelings, but I also need you to honor their memory. And then I need you to get up and move because there's somebody else that needs you too, Mm -hmm. you know, and you did everything you could. I know that you did everything you could because you would never do anything better, less than your best. Mm -hmm. Um, And and she's totally right, Um, because I do give it my all. I deeply care about every single patient that I have um, and I give my all in every situation. Um, And so I think just with her words, whenever, you know, I had a hard day at work or a difficult situation with a patient, I would just kind of reflect on what she said about, you know, feeling my feelings and honoring the memory of that patient and then getting up and moving because there's still more work to be done you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and so I think that kind of helps me cope like in my normal life. (laughs) Um, just because I, I can't, I can't let the sadness weigh me down because if I do, then I'm not going to be able to function the way that I need to be. Um, I can't, you know, you can't pour from an empty cup. So if I'm not on my days when I'm not in the hospital, if I'm not doing things to like ensure my wellness, I won't be able to give back to my patients as much as I can when I am working, you know, I don't know if that makes sense, but I feel like that was like a jumble of words. No, it, it makes, it makes so
0: much. It makes so much sense is there is a next patient that needs you. And yeah. if you, if you can't show up whole and, and having joy in your personal life, you could never show up and give the 110% like you did on the day with us.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: That's what you, and so you're, and, and, the like, what does self care look like for you in order to work through? You just see, you just see so much more than most of us, right? So, what's like the self care? What does that look like to to feel? Is it meditation? Is it you know exercise? Like, what is what does that look like for you?
1: Um. So, self care actually. Back, like, during COVID times, I started working out just because we we were coding multiple patients at night. And CPR is actually very, like, labor intensive. Um, And I remember, like, one night I was like, oh, my God, like, I'm going to need somebody to code myself because I just don't have the, like, endurance. Um, so I started working out pretty frequently just to like build up my endurance. And then after that, that came became more of like a self care, just because I was able to, you know, kind of like work out all everything that I was feeling um, from work and stuff and then from life. Um, and then also going to the beach is such a being out in nature, actually, in general, just like connecting with like the earth, <laughs> if that makes sense, like being around things that remind me of life. I don't know if that, yeah. it's not really. Yeah.
0: For okay. sure. It's a gr- it's a great point. Cause that's the other thing I remember is how is this like like you are such like a little? I'm like, how is this little, like pretty girl so <laughs> strong? You know, like I in the moment I was like, and you had a scarf on. And I was just like, how is she so strong? And again, on your tippy toes, and like his body was coming off of the bed, like like I said, you were giving 110, but that makes sense, like just exercise and and I'm sure sleep and rejuvenating your body to be able to, to, to do it physically.
1: Yes. Yeah. Cause it is, like I said, it's very labor intensive. And so I just wanted to make sure again, like I'm, that I'm not showing up just like mentally for my patients, but physically too. You know, I feel like that's also really important.
0: So, and then when it goes well, are you and your team? Like, yes. Like, are
1: you on this crazy high? Like, Oh, we did it. Yes, yes, very much. These are the moments that we live for. Um, just because like I mentioned earlier, so many of our situations turn out not the way that we want them to. So moments like this, it really gives us life. And it really gives us something to latch onto to for days that are much harder to bear, you know,
0: I'm sure. And I bet it creates a unique bond with the people. Does the group change, or is it kind of do do the same group have the same shifts, or how does that work?
1: Um, so it's different people, different days. Our unit is kind of smaller, so I think maybe there's like fifteen or twenty people that are on night shift specifically. Um, in our unit, I just love them to death. Like we have such a good like team working relationship. Um, we have each other's backs, you know. And in situations like this, like if it goes down, like we know that we can handle it um, because, you know, we work so well with each other and we, we've got it between each other. We've got it, you know? Yes. And what is your schedule like? Oh my God. My schedule's crazy. <laughs> so I'm always on night shift. Um, it's usually weekends that I'm working. I feel like, but honestly, it could be, it could be any day, anytime. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: It was so crazy because after that day, after everything calmed, I went back. And I, tr- I tried to, like, I, and it's crazy that I even have a photo because I was texting with Craig's cardiologist, like with two different doctors and they were saying what's going on. Cause we knew, okay. He, he, I mean, we knew starting at 11am that things were going, um, that things were going downhill. And so they, we were kind of just texting updates. So they were texting me as it was happening and it felt very long, these, you know, kind of, you know, three, four minutes of this whole thing. So I, te- I just texted a picture, right? I just didn't even have words, but I wanted them to be updated because I knew they had to get on the phone. Um, yeah. And then, so I just have a couple photos, but then if you hit loop, the photos are the craziest. But then I went back to the ICU in the weeks after, and I said, you know, Hey, and you know, can you please find her for me? But I felt <laughs> I felt like maybe, you never know. Like it's been so amazing that you're open to text and open to, (laughs) because I was like, what if she doesn't, what if, you know, cause this is, this is tricky and it has to be so heavy and complicated. What is it? She doesn't want to be found, but I was like, can you please help me find her? And they were like, we well, you know we I don't have anyone on shift now that was on shift then. And I was like, oh, then I texted um, a couple cardiologists. I need you to help me find her. Like, I just have this hole in my soul without really like no words can express the gratitude, but I must find her. Like she saved him. If it wasn't her, it would have been different. Like, like it just, so what my question is, is when, how did you even get the message that I was trying to, that I was trying to find you? You
1: know, I, I think it was, it was your friend actually that messaged me on Instagram because she was like, Hey, Lindsay's trying to reach out to you, but I don't think you like added her. And I was like, Oh, I'm so sorry. Honestly, I usually don't accept people that I don't know.
0: That's what it was. So I think the doctor connected. So then I had your name so that yeah. I could find you. But then, yes, that's right. Then someone was like, "Oh, I know her. I'll tell her." So yeah. it was like kind of this this tangled web. But I'm telling you, until I could connect and and know your name and know you, it felt like this this hole for me because it was it was it was just the most the most emotional thing. And I think I was still in that trauma phase where yeah. I would try to be normal in life, and I would I could control I could control the I could control the emotions of it, even because after this whole thing happened, Craig, you know, like we said, woke up, but then his organs started failing. Like they even stopped the heart medications because his kidneys were failing. So it was like quite a journey um, after that. So it wasn't like we're in the clear, you know, it was a little bit like that because he made it, but still there was just like so many hurdles. So I was able to control the emotion of that. I think mainly because I knew I had to show up and connect the doctors and take notes and talk and do all that. But what I couldn't control is re-seeing, but replaying it. And in in a weird way, my I was replaying it in two ways. I was replaying it like from what I saw, but I was also replaying it like as some as if someone was watching me. Like I could see the sweats I had on. I could see the purple mask I had on. So that was the only thing I couldn't control. Is I would be going about my day, and like the heaviness of re-seeing it um, is something that I couldn't really control. And it would kind of you know take like a happy day. And, and it just, you know, the, the weight of that, especially as we were still going through that, I can't imagine how that works for you in the fact that you do this all day. Like how, how are you able to control your thoughts? And do you have those flashes of re-seeing traumatic, you know, specific standout experiences?
1: Yes, um to be very transparent especially like after covid with everything that i was seeing i did have to go to therapy just because it was weighing so heavily and it's it's a lot you know i'm seeing things that people in a, in a normal basis would never even imagine that magnitude of death was it's not something that people should ever experience in their lifetime honestly um so i did have to go to therapy i mean For you, how you mentioned it was very traumatic, and and honestly, I'm so glad that you are able to like talk so freely about it. Now I can really see that there is so much healing around this topic for you, and I'm so glad for you because it is such a traumatic experience to go through, you know. And I can't even imagine. It's, I mean, it's traumatic for me seeing, um, you know, my patients, but I have no connect, like, connection to the way that you do, you know. Um, so it's ten times as traumatic for you, I imagine. Um, but. Yeah, so I think therapy was honestly one of the biggest things. It kind of helped me process mm-hmm. um, to terms, like, with what's going on. During,
0: during those COVID probably two-ish years, was the rate of death that you were seeing so much more extreme than normal?
1: So it's, I was at a different hospital at the time during COVID, actually. Um, and so that area was especially impacted more so than I think other areas, Um, And so that's why I think I keep like referring back to like that death. It was just much more pronounced at that hospital versus um, versus where I'm at right now. Um, And in that case too. So normally with ICU nurses, you only have two patients that time um, because there were so many patients and because we were short staffed, I would have anywhere from up to three to four patients that were ventilated. Um, So yeah, it's, I think all that was just, it was overwhelming yeah. to say
0: who. Oh, I'm sure. You know what? I'd like to say that because I have a huge question about the ventilator. So the yeah. two doctors came right after it happened. The two doctors came in. He 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 was coming to, but like hadn't opened his eyes, wasn't responsive yet. And they grabbed the ventilator and they were like, let's go. And then yeah. then someone kind of was like, wait, like, and then he popped his eyes open. And, and the, really the only thing he remembers is – telling him like hearing ventilate something like that and being like craig wake up wake up um yeah. so that was a huge question i think that i never really understood is and what, what what would that have changed cuz i know that if you can avoid a ventilator you want to absolutely so if they would have had to have if he wouldn't have woken up within the next couple seconds or come to they would ventilate him and then what then what
1: um i think it would have been a more traumatic experience for you at that time, just to have seen that, because now not only did you just see your husband going to cardiac arrest, but now they're having to put a breathing tube down his throat because he can't breathe on his own anymore. So I think it really would have added to the trauma of the situation in that moment. But because he was able to recover so quickly, I imagine, it, it, even if they had would have had to ventilate him, um, I imagine he would have gone into surgery and then afterwards we would have been able to take him off. I see. Um, Yeah. So especially like in our ICU, we try to take them off ventilation as quickly as possible. Really, what we're looking for is just like a correction of their blood gases um, so that we know that they're able to ventilate effectively on their own. Mm -hmm. So I think the outcome still would have been okay. I think just like in the moment, it would have been a little bit more traumatic, more traumatic for you. Yes.
0: -hmm. Interesting. Interesting what is the, what is the delay for the, for the machine? Like, I know that his pulse stopped so instantly, but I couldn't, I didn't know that there was like a little bit of a delay. Cause I was like, why is, why is nothing going off? And again, I, I felt so proud after that I was able to help get more because right away, I'm, I kid you right away. So th- I was holding his hand and the nurse was on the other side. The nurse walked over and said, no pulse. And nothing was, you know, not, it was all so quick. Nothing was going on. So I just remember going in the hall and just, you know, screaming, we have no pulse. Like I just didn't even know what to do, but I just could tell that we needed help faster than things were naturally happening.
1: Yeah. What's the delay? Um, Honestly, that's a good question. I th- I think it really just changes. Sometimes the, it can pick it up. Honestly, sometimes you can even see a trend when somebody is about to code, you'll see like the heart rate. Um. Say if- the 80s or something and then you'll see it like within seconds like oh 60 50 40 and then it's like shoot get the pads on because they're going to code sometimes you can see the trend and then sometimes it there's like can be like a change in rhythm there's little signals sometimes Mm -hmm. that if you're if you're watching you can see and then other times it's just boom instantaneous which is kind of obviously what happened with him Mm -hmm. um so i think like yeah it did take a little bit of a second for the monitor to kind of catch up with what happened and with it like alarming
0: You know, how do you know to come? Like if I wasn't there yelling, do do some nurses say, I think they're going to code when that starts happening? Or how do you guys know to, to rush in? What's the go what's it's go time moment?
1: Yeah. So there's parameters that are actually set up on our monitors that are in the rooms. And there's somebody, um, we call them the teletech, there's somebody in the unit, too, that's constantly watching those monitors and listening for those alarms. So if they see something or if they hear it go off, then they'll know, hey, can you go check this out? Because this is what I'm seeing. And so we'll go in there and investigate. Um, And then there's a specific alarm too, like one that's like louder than the others. It's like a warning alarm that like, hey, go put eyes on this patient right now you know, which is what was happening um, in in the case of, of what happened with Craig. But I think like at that specific moment, we had literally had a patient from OR like, roll up, not even like five or 10 minutes prior. So I think like our focus was diverted like over here, what? which is why maybe we didn't quite catch right away what was going on, because I think it was just me and one other nurse that were immediately like in the room and what? then everybody like, wait, what's going on? you know? Yes.
0: And everyone was so, was so kind and like, everyone was just so kind and so, and so gracious. And you guys just flew in, you know, you just flew in and it just felt like so fast you were there, you know? Mm -hmm. And it just, I just feel so crazy grateful because, you know, if you were a little bit further, like it, it, the way he, like we said, the way he turned um, blue and the way it happened so fast, it seemed like a matter of seconds, you know, not minutes. It was a matter of seconds. Yeah. You know? So to be able to have that response time and for everyone to be so gracious to me and, and, you know, I, I was like, am I going to be whisked out? I, that would have been so much harder as hard as it was to witness it. It would have been, I, ke- I kept thinking they're not going to let me stay. Right. Especially because halfway through. And, and, and it was, I remember hearing someone say something like minute one, no response, you know, yeah. uh, there, there were, there every update as you were doing, it was not good.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And so I remember thinking they're going to tell like, this is not go- th- like, I kept thinking they're going to send me away.
1: Mm-hmm. No, we, um, we will, And this is actually backed up in, in like medical literature. It is more beneficial to have family at bedside while this is happening than to whisk them away. Um, and especially like me in particular, and I know a lot of other nurses kind of share the same sentiment. But if this is going on, this life changing moment, I want the family to be present for this. They need to be here, especially because if I know this was me, nothing's going to drag me away from my family member. I would never do that to somebody else. Mm-hmm. You know.
0: Yeah. Um, that's interesting. Because, you know, yes, I mean, it makes sense. But I just know, like, I was like, this is so if this is going to go bad, are they going to make are they going to take me? Are they going to are they going to make me leave? And I was just thinking, how am I going to explain to them that I that there's no way that there's no way I could leave, you know? Yeah. So that part of it, you know, because it's it's interesting when Craig's been hospitalized so much off and on, I've had to be really creative when they're like, you know, visiting hours are over, but I know, know, I know that either physically he's in pain or mentally he needs me. And I've really, mm-hmm. you know, you know, try, I always try to respect the rules. Cause I know, but I've also like, you know, nurses are just the coolest. And I've just had the best experiences always when I tell them, like, I, I just need an hour. I will not bother anyone. I will stay in this corner and I will exit efficiently, but I'm just telling you, I can't, I just need to be with him for another hour. It, I've always had great experiences, even when we've kind of need to push it a little bit.
1: Yeah, no, that's so good too. COVID just really screwed up the whole visiting hours policy because before it used to be 24 hours, Um, I... And again, to me, I, I would never kick a family member out to me. I I mean, obviously, I have to follow hospital rules. <laughs> um, but I think that there is such um, a benefit. And I feel like it really helps like in the healing process to have family there, you mm-hmm. know, why are you gonna uh, isolate this person that's like sick that doesn't really know what's going on, that's in a brand new environment. To me, it makes no sense to isolate them, you know. Um, so right. I'm glad that Good experiences with nurses, though, that allowed you to be present at bedside because I really think that that's so such a crucial factor to the healing process. You know, yeah.
0: the healing for the person witnessing it, yep. the person being there, but also to be the the kind of quarterback. I mean, I've really had to be the quarterback for Craig's mm-hmm. health just because it's been so complicated. And doctors have so many patients, like you know, your regular office doctor, but also doctors in the ICU. They have so many patients. You Mm -hmm. you know, I, I just think, especially when it's kind of a life or death type situation, you got to have a quarterback, someone who's in there, you know, repeating the numbers, taking notes, connecting the primary doctor who has all the history, like all that stuff is, is just so crucial when you're in these real life or death situations. And for me kind of doing the initial podcast on it and getting such a great response, was so healing. It's interesting because when I recorded the very first podcast, I, it felt so raw and so personal. I recorded it, not knowing if I was ever going to publish it, but yeah. then I ended up doing it. It, it felt like it, it's it's going to help people because there's so many things I learned on the journey. And it helped so much with healing just because you know, so many people who are saying, my husband's always had this heart thing, but we've never had a major episode, but this inspired me to really go check it out or So many stories like that just made it like, you know, and, and you are such an, an, uh, so important in that journey, um, because we had a positive outcome and I was able to share just being able to share with other people and so many, so many different tips about having a quarterback for your health and being proactive, you know, finding answers, trying new doctors, all the different, all the different things has been, I think, you know, I, am I'm, I'm, I'm happy to feel very, and I mean, I think, don't think you're ever fully healed, but very fully as fully healed as I could be. You know, that was in may we're coming up on, you know, a little less than a year now since, um, yeah. you know, to, to feel like that for you seeing so much, so much, mon- so many accidents or trauma, does it make you afraid to do things? Does it make you afraid to drive? Does it make you afraid to do adventures on vacation? Like, is there any fear in your own life because of what you
1: see um honestly no if which sounds stupid and that's probably just my youth talking um no honestly if anything it makes me just appreciate life so much more i you know just because of everything that i do see uh, i know that life is so short and that things can change from one minute to the next and so for me i want to take advantage of every single moment that i have and live it to the fullest um, and so I don't know if that makes me a little reckless sometimes <laughs> <The> <laughs> <past gasps> I was in Greece. You know, my friend was like, Hey, do you want to go jump off a cliff? And I was like, let's do it. You know,
0: that sounds like a fantastic idea.
1: <laughs> yeah. But so for me, it's just about taking every moment that I have and appreciating it and taking nothing for granted, you know? Yeah. And really <laughs> living, right? Like, like yeah. you said, be outside
0: with nature and live and experience. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. It's, yes. Okay. So how about the, how about the toughness thing? Because I think that a lot of people's lives are so comfortable that when tough things happen, they crumble or they aren't able to show up the way they want. And like I said, I was, I'm, they feel like I'm very humble, but I was proud of myself in that moment that I feel like I do hard things often, um, that I was able to, to like show up in, in the best way to be helpful. Um, for you personally, with all that you do, does it make you like, okay, so if you have kids one day and they're, you know, have a little scratch, I, I, you know, I, I, it's interesting to me to think like, you have to be so physically tough, mentally tough yourself because you're exercising it every day. But like emotionally, do you feel like it makes you hard to wear in some ways you're not as sympathetic or, or do you, are you able to separate the two? How does that,
1: how does that work? I think that I'm definitely able to separate the two Um, just because I do. I don't ever want to become desensitized to everything that goes on, you know, Um, because I think my compassion is what allows me to give that 110 percent to my patients. And I want to do that for everybody. I want to show up always and always give everything that I can. Um, I think while I'm working, I'm good at putting on a poker face because we have to. I never want the patient to feel worried, or that it's not being handled, or that they're not not saying that I'm the best hands, but that they're not in the best hands possible. Mm -hmm. You know, Um,
0: you are the the best hands. (laughs) Life proof, you are the best hands. But I know what you mean, you gotta, you gotta show up. So they feel confident that like, I've got my game face on like, we got this. this is what we do.
1: Yes. So I think like externally, I definitely like would appear like mentally tough um internally is definitely a different situation um so i like on a particularly hard day i will kind of like step to another room just take a couple seconds to breathe get my composure together and then back at it you know Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah there's a lot of internal struggle that kind of happens but again with self-care therapy all that stuff it kind of helps to manage it you know Um, I think I do kind of want to circle back for a second, though. And I wanted to say that you honestly should be so proud of yourself, what you did. And I'm so glad that you're advocating about being a quarterback for your family members. That is so important. And that's something that I actually try to educate my patients on, my patients' families, that you want to, like, yes, doctors and nurses, like, we're educated, we know what we're doing. But you're going to know your family member better than we do. You might see something that is wrong that maybe we think, "Oh, no, you know, that that's normal." But to you you know that it's wrong. So it is so important for people to have that quarterback and and it can be really hard. It can be traumatic. And so for you to have kept it together for yourself, for your husband, for your kids, that just I think is a really big show of like the strength of your character. Um and you you should be absolutely a hundred percent. So proud of yourself. And I'm so glad that you're advocating for other people to do that as well, because it is so important, you
0: know, coming from you. That means that means so, so much. It means so, so much. Um, And yeah, I think that you, yes, I think that that's um, for people to understand. And like I said, I think getting uncomfortable and pushing yourself and not always being comfortable in life it makes you durable to where you're where you're able to say it's go time i got to show up 100% right now um, yeah. is everything and keeping medical records organized too um that's been a big thing for me is really Keeping medical records organized and not having it be a disaster. So you can give them the very cliff-nosed version of what people need to know, even not in an emergency situation. Just you meet with a new doctor, you know, all of a sudden we had kidney failure. So I needed to update the doctor on what the blood pressure was every day and when this started happening. You know, all the questions, they'll walk in and be like, when did this happen? You're like, I don't know. I haven't slept in four days. I have no idea, you know? So just keeping notes.
1: Yeah. And honestly, that's so helpful too. When people come with like a list of like, okay, these are the medications. This is what's going on. It's like, Thank God, you know, it really helps us kind of get a better idea of the entire picture of their health versus like what's going on in this 10 second moment, you know? Yeah. So,
0: okay. A couple last questions for you. So you are so young and, (laughs) and beautiful and dynamic and you have this life. You're 30. You started doing this when you were 25. what, how long do you do this for? Like, is there something that you move to next? Do you love this? Do you stay in this space? Like, I'm just so curious about that.
1: Yeah, I 100% love what I do so much. Um, It's funny, because when I was in nursing school, I was like, Oh, I want to do labor and delivery. I love working with the babies. And then I ended up getting hired into critical care. And I think that was just definitely like one of those God things where like, you know, you're it's not like, what you asked for, but it's what you needed. And I just love critical care so much. I can't imagine doing anything else, even though it's so hard. I'm so grateful to be like in this vulnerable space and this vulnerable time with both my patients and their families. Um, I won't be in bedside forever. Actually. I started my doctorate program for my NP program back in September of last year. So it's a three-year program. So I'm finishing my first year. In two years, I'll leave like a bedside, uh, leave my bedside position and then work like as an acute care MP. I don't know what that's going to look like yet. Maybe the emergency room. Um, But yeah, and actually I just last week got promoted to, so the people, we were talking about this earlier, the people that lead the codes, the code leaders, that's rapid response. So two weeks ago, I actually got asked to join that team. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. So I'm scared, but really excited. And when um, do you start that? I start officially in two weeks. So I'm training right now. I've been training these past couple of weeks and then I'll be on my own in two weeks. Um, so I won't be working like bedside as much anymore. Now it'll solely be my job to just respond to these codes and these emergent situations.
0: Interesting. Wow. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. And, and so it's just about being the best, you know, being as best as you can those are the people that get asked to get asked to for the next level to step up for the promotion.
1: Yeah. So it's, I, I swear, I'm not trying to brag, but. um, No,
0: that's, that's what it's about. It's, 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 it's an honest, like, that's what we want to hear.
1: Yeah. No, the, the people that are asked to be on rapid response are the best of the best nurses taken from critical care. Got it. Yeah. It's a lot of responsibility, I'm really scared but also really excited yeah. um it's better honestly to to have been asked for this so yeah. yeah does does
0: do you I would imagine if I were in your shoes I would really want things I know you travel I know you love Disney like do you always yeah. have things to look forward to because it seems like that would help get through the really tough days
1: yes oh my gosh yes for me that's it's such a big thing to like make sure that I have things because again like if I were to just live day to day with nothing to look forward to, I feel like that would be so depressing because it's like, oh my gosh, like when do you, when can I have the opportunity to get away, take a mental break, like reset, you know, these moments where I can reset are so crucial to like, I think my mental health, you know? Um, so yeah, something that I'm looking forward to, we're going to Paris in the summer. So I'm so excited. So <laughs> that's what's going right now.
0: So fun. And to work so hard at work and the heaviness of that, and then school on top of it, it's just, yeah. I'm sure having things to look forward to like that yes. are just, are everything.
1: Yeah, it really is. Cause it's, it's a lot, it's a lot, it's
0: very stressful. Mm-hmm. Now, on the days that you leave the ER, how many, how are there more days where you feel like, gosh, we did, we, you know, like that was great or how many versus how many days are you just like, God, that was so hard. I'm, 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 you know, I'm sad. Like how often do you naturally without the mental toughness and all that, you know, I guess, I guess really the question is how often are days more, more the good, the good outcome versus the the bad outcome?
1: I think there's definitely more sad outcomes Versus good outcomes, because I can, especially with outcomes like yours, I can probably count on my hand on one hand, like, and, and I like know all these families still, the good outcomes that we've had. So because of so my ICU is specifically like it for strokes for neural related problems um and so because of the nature of that icu we see so many families you know that they come in and they're like well what are you talking about like my dad was up and walking this morning he was shopping at the store what do you mean he's never going to get up again what do you mean he's never going to eat again and that type of situation happens more often than obviously we want and it's very heartbreaking to see so i think that's you know that's why i was saying earlier these moments these good great wonderful stories we latch on to them because that's what keeps us going on these hard days yeah you know
0: that that was exactly my my last question for you was exactly that is how often because you know the ones that don't go the way you want you know because you're living it but the ones that do turn out the right way and people thrive, how often or how do you even connect with people? How often do you know when people are able to go out in the world and be normal like they were before and vacation and have love and all that stuff? Like, how do you even how do you even know about the good ones after they leave the ICU?
1: Honestly, a lot of people update us, which we love. Um, well, I mean, we, we like uh, I think um, not the ICU specifically, but somebody else like will follow up with them, yeah. you know they're doing but a lot of the time we like will get like postcards or like Christmas cards is a usual a usual thing that we get or just like um yeah just pictures and updates of like hey I went here hey I'm doing this hey just wanted to say I appreciate you so much and those and we have those like pictures hanging up in the unit or we have them like playing on a monitor in the break room just because they are so special to us you know because it's like when we're you know, when we're in the freaking corner crying because it's been an awful shift. Like when you think back on those moments or when you see the pictures where, you know, a daughter holding her daddy's hand or a spouse that's still kissing their husband or, you know, just moments like that. They that's why I'm doing this, you know, because you're there's days where you're wondering why why am I putting myself through this? Like why am I why am I doing this? I don't have to be here. Um But then we see things like that, you know, where our patient that coded three different times, he's now playing in the snow with his two-year-old son. That's why we do this for those moments, you know?
0: And you literally gave us a second life of that. Like you, you you genuinely gave us a second life. And I'm telling you, when I'm in those moments, that's exactly what I think of is I'm like, thank God for her. Like, like this this, this, it almost, and it's a crazy thing. I bet you have this where none of like all the little things don't matter to me. I mean, also, I think when you see someone physically, like, you know, almost leave the planet, bullshit doesn't affect me. Like, you know, my friends will be like, I'm so mad about this. I'm like, who cares? Let it go. It just doesn't matter. Like none of it matters. I bet you, you see the, the craziness, the craziness of life to go out and see something trivial or drama or arguments probably just you're able to i'm sure um like just brush off little things
1: yeah i mean because because work can be so chaotic really just in my outside life i really just try to like have peace and be peaceful you know mm-hmm. i don't know it's i don't need i don't need extra drama outside of work it's already so crazy yeah
0: you know? i have enough heartache i'm not going to sign up for any heartache like voluntarily no, God, no. (laughs) So
1: yeah. Remember what's important, you know? And
0: yeah. it's How are you so grounded and capable and all of it at 30 years old? Like I just, I, I knew before this conversation, like in your job and what you do, but to, to really hear your full perspective on things and how you really have been able to figure out how to make this work in your life, and and take the joys of you know being able to to do so much good for people, and have that shine brighter than the sadness is like incredible.
1: Thanks,
0: thank it, you. It really is. It really is. Well, I can't thank you enough. Um, I would like to know you forever because you you
1: <laughs> genuinely
0: changed our family's lives. The kids and I put um, a basket together. I can't thank you for, thank you for doing this podcast and for everything that we've done. So I'm going to send, send that your way. But I feel like nothing could ever like, I'm like, I think she would like this. I saw something on her Instagram stories and it's funny because right away I'm like, but there's no, there's no anything that is. And so that's why I just try to express it with words that you changed our life. I really believe is if it wasn't you in that moment, giving a hundred percent, it is very likely that it would have been a different outcome. So you're literally one of the most important people in in our lives. And I'm so grateful and our whole family is so grateful. And what you do is literally miracle work. And I just, I can't even put it into words enough.
1: Well, Lindsay, thank you so much. Honestly, I appreciate you so much because I, I mean you, you talk about the difference that you know that I've made in your life but you, I want you to know that you've also made such a difference in mine too because be like especially like seeing on your Instagram all these special moments that you get to have I just loves it makes it brings me such joy to see them you know yeah. and it um because yeah like I said we get updates from our other families but I see yours more frequently mm-hmm. so it, it gives me hope you know
0: right and, and, that the, so, and that the, the, you know, even if there are more sad times than happy times, um, you know, trying to make the, the happy times shine through so much more and be a louder voice in your head.
1: Yeah. Like if I could reach just one, if I could have made a difference in just one family, it's enough, you know? Well, so I'm yeah,
0: you have more, more than done that. we know know that for sure. Well, thank you so much. I know that this will be so valuable for people to hear. And I think it'll be just inspiring in so many, in so many ways. So I can't thank you enough for doing this podcast. And I'm just so glad to know you forever because you changed (laughs) this forever. I
1: just know. Thank you for having me. It's it's been great. It's been great. Well, thank you so
0: much. Thank you everyone for listening. Um, If you have any questions, send me a DM and I'll ask Karina the questions if there's anything that you were thinking um, that I didn't get to in this podcast and, um, and we'll pop up those answers. I know people always ask a bunch of questions after episodes like this, so send them to me and I'll get them to her. And thank you so much for listening and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the How to Be Awesome at Everything podcast.